Mark 11. I asked you guys to read Mark 11. <coughs> I want to share something with you that I've never seen before that is kind of the direction that I feel like God's going to take us over the next several weeks. Um, I've taught on prayer for years, and I hate using the word prayer because when you say prayer, people think like this. And prayer is communication. I can communicate with Josh without saying a word. I can communicate with you. There's lots of ways that communication can occur. Communication, prayer is communication. Without communication, there's no relationship. So you could say, prayer is your life in God. Without it, you have no God life. Because prayer is the exchange of God in you, you and God. And without it, you have no life. Um, but I want to share some things from Mark, which is right down the alley of what Mark Dingemans was just sharing that I'd never seen before. And maybe y'all have seen this before, and it's okay if you have. Um, but God was just talking to me. I don't know if you realize this, but we've all heard, if you've ever listened to Kenneth Hagin, you know Mark 11, 23, and 24, right? Um, and most of us know the context of Mark 11. Um, but I believe the whole chapter is talking about your God life prayer. I believe the whole thing is talking about your prayer life. And it starts with this picture of a fig tree and Jesus cursing this tree. Then he goes in and he cleanses the temple. He casts out the money changers. On his way in, they have the tri what we call the triumphal entry, right? And then he casts out the money changers. Then they pass back by, and this tree is dried up at the roots, and he gives the message that we're all so familiar with. But I want to share some things that I've seen in this um, that I've never seen quite before about not just that we pray, about how we pray. And I'm just gonna I'm just gonna go through real quick, so just stick with me for a second. The first thing that I want to point out is that this scripture starts. Uh, maybe I will just read the whole thing, and then we'll go back through. Um, now in Mark 11 verse 1. Now as they were approaching Jerusalem, they arrived at the place of the stables near Bethany on the Mount of Olives, and Jesus sent two disciples ahead of them and said to them, As soon as you enter the village ahead. You will find a donkey colt tied there that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it to me. And if anyone asks, why are you taking it? Tell him the master has need of it and will send it back to you soon. So I want to stop and I'm going to go back up to where it says, and they arrived at the place of the stables. So this in the literal translation, if you have the passion, you can look at the bottom and the note that he puts there is this word Bethage actually means you could translate it house of stables or you could translate it house of unripe figs. So they start their journey at the house of unripe figs. Okay, and I want you to think about the context of this story. Jesus is getting ready to go to a tree that's advertising one thing and doing something else. Are you with me? Mm -hmm. So I just want you to think about that for a minute. Now stay with me. I also want you to, well, we're going to, we're going to, just stay with me. We'll go quick. 
I also want to note here, this is the word of wisdom, word of knowledge functioning right here in Jesus's life. But I also want you to see it's functioning in the man's life who owns this animal. So here's someone who had to be praying and God told this person, someone's going to come take your donkey. And when they do, they're going to tell you the master needs it and give it to the master. Livelihood, your, your wealth was measured by how many donkeys you had. This was a big, big deal. Do y'all see that? Okay, so I want you to see that the Holy Spirit is working in Jesus. And the reason why I'm pointing this out is because there's nothing Jesus walked in that we can't walk in. So I believe Paula is like wanting to know about this building. And just like Jesus showed him, the Holy Spirit showed Jesus in his morning prayer that there would be a donkey on this street tied up that had never been ridden before, that God had pre-prepared for Jesus. Send your disciples to look for him. This is where he is. Then he went to the owner of the donkey and said, the master has need of your donkey and he's coming. Do you see? This is a picture of what our life should look like. Are you with me? Yes. And this is not like some woo. This is basic, bottom line Christianity. Are you with me? Yes. Okay. So, so they went and they found the colt outside in the street, tied at the gate. When they untied him, some people standing there said, why are you untying the colt? And they answered just as Jesus had told them. The master needs it. He will send it back to you soon. So the bystanders let him go. The disciples brought the coat to Jesus and piled their coat, cloaks and prayer shawls on the donkey, and Jesus rode it. Many people carpeted the road in front of him with their cloaks. Okay, this cloak, the word actually means prayer shawls. So I want you to think about this. And the triumphal entry... They clothe the transportation vehicle with prayer, with the covering of the prayer of God. And then for Jesus to travel down the victory path as they're shouting Hosanna and doing the thing, the thing that he's going to travel on mm. is good. the prayers of these people. Do y'all see? Mm -hmm. The victory march is being moved along by... Mm -hmm. Y'all still with me? Yeah. Hallelujah. The disciples brought the coat to Jesus. Let's see. Many of the people carpeted the road in front of him with their prayer shawls, while others gathered palm branches and spread them before him. Jesus read palm branches in the Bible represent victory. Jehovah Nisi, our victory. Jesus rode in the center of the procession and with the crowds before him and behind him and they shouted celebration. Bring the victory. We welcome the one with blessings sent from the Lord Yahweh. Blessings rest on this kingdom. He ushers in the kingdom of our father David. Bring us the victory of the highest realms of heaven. Jesus rode through the gates to Jerusalem and up the temple. And after looking at everything, he left for Bethany, and the twelve spent the night, and it was already late in the day. The next day, as they left for Bethany, Jesus was feeling hungry, and he noticed a leafy tree in the distance. So he walked over to see if there was fruit on it. 
but there was only leaves, for it was not the season of the figs. And Jesus spoke. Now I want you to look down, and if you have the passion and the notes that he writes, this figurative that Jesus speaks to the tree, in the Greek, it's actually the word that he answered. That's correct. He answered the tree. Y'all, the tree was saying something. Do you know your life is saying something? He answered the tree. The tree was calling to him and saying something. I believe it was saying I'm fruitful. That's Karen's just idea. That's not the Bible. Jesus spoke to the fig tree saying, no one will ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples overheard him. And they came to Jerusalem, and Jesus went directly to the temple and overturned the tables, the benches, the merchants who were doing business there. One by one, he drove them out of the temple courts and scattered them, including the money changers, those selling doves, that he would not allow them to use the temple courts as a thoroughfare for carrying for merchandise and their furniture. So I want you to see the first thing that he is not allowing and I'm going to call it this way, the sin of familiarity. Mm-hmm. Where I am just so familiar that there's no honor left. Yeah. Mm. There's no reverence left. There's no, you know, and I'm going to say some things. Um, I was listening to a message a few months back by Brother Hagen, and he was talking about how when we were younger, People, when I was younger, people used to dress up when they went to church, and they didn't do it to be religious. They did it to bring God their best. Because God, if you were going to go before Prince, you know, King Charles, there would be a protocol of what's appropriate to wear. When you go before a king, you bring your best. And I think it's great that in our church settings we've gotten to a place where we make it easier for people who aren't churchgoers to fit in. But somewhere in there, we can't lose sight of who we are there for. Who we are there for. Okay, so then he began to teach the people. Does not the scripture say, my house will be a house of prayer? For all the world to share. But you have made it a hangout of thieves. When the chief priests and religious scholars heard this, they began to plot how they could eliminate Jesus. But they feared him and his influence because the entire crowd was totally captivated by his teaching. So he and his disciples spent the night outside the city. In the morning, they passed past the fig tree that Jesus had spoken to, and it was completely withered up at its roots. Peter remembered and said to him, Teacher, look, that's the fig tree you cursed. It's now shriveled up and dead. And Jesus replied, Let the faith of God be in you. Listen to the truth I speak to you. Whoever says to this mountain with great faith and does not doubt, mountain be lifted up and thrown in the midst of the sea and believes that what he says will happen, it will be done. This is the reason I urge you to boldly believe for whatever you ask in prayer. Be convinced that it's yours, that you have received it, and it will be yours. 
And then whenever you're staying praying, if you have, if you find that you're carrying something in your heart against another person, release him, forgive him, so that your Father who is in heaven releases you and forgives you your faults. But if you do not release forgiveness, don't expect your Father in heaven to release you from your misdeeds. Oh, so good. Then they came to Jerusalem, and while Jesus was walking in the temple courts, the Jewish rulers, the chief priests, and certain scholars and elders approached him. They came to him and said, What right do you have to say these things? Who gave you this authority to do all of this? And Jesus replied, I too have a question to ask you. If you can answer this question, then I will tell you what power I do these things. When, John, when did John's authority immerse come from? Was it from heaven or from people? Answer me now. They stepped away and debated among themselves saying, how should we answer this if we say from heaven? He will say to us, then why did you respond to John and not believe what he said? But if we say from the people, we fear the crowds, for they are convinced that John was a God's prophet. So they finally answered, we do not know. Then neither will I tell you the power, where the power comes from to do these things. And Jesus replied. So I want to back up here just a little bit, and I want to talk to you. I want to go back to verse 11 of Mark. Um, 11 in verse 11 let's see in verse 13 of mark 11 where jesus spoke to the fig tree down here in his notes i want to point out what he says in the passion he says the first mention of a fig tree you know every time the bible mentions something a first time it has tremendous meaning mm -hmm. the first mention of a fig tree is in the garden when adam and eve try to cover their sin mm -hmm. and they do it with fig leaves and god's solution is shedding blood and covering them with skin. Now I want you to think about that in light of what we just read in Mark 11, about coming from the place of the figs, about him cursing be, cursing the fig tree because there was no real fruit there. I want you to think about that, okay? Um, it also becomes a hiding place for Zacchaeus who climbed in the sycamore or the fig tree to find Jesus. The tree, the tree with leaves but no fruit can also be a symbol of Israel's religious system of the day. Jesus next drives out the money changers in the temple who were rotten fruit. The first of the fruit of the harvest of Jesus was looking for came on the day of Pentecost when they were filled with the Holy Spirit. So I just want you to think, as I was reading this this week and I was reading all these notes and I was just praying, I saw this picture of the Lord moving in authority on our prayer and that whatever we agreed with that he was saying would happen on our behalf and that people would be drawn to that because there would be fruit from that and they would come to want to eat what was there. And so I just, this week, I just want us to take some time and pray and Get in the face of God that when I don't want to be false advertising for Jesus. When people come up, I don't want a gospel. I don't want to share a gospel that's powerless. When I pray, I want things to change. And not on my timetable. 
But I want to be a person that my life is filled with answers to prayer. Mm-hmm. Are y'all with me? Yes. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be somebody who's trying to cover my life with false narrative of God. Mm-hmm. I want to cover my life with the blood that was spilled and cries out innocent. Mm-hmm. Are you with me? So over the next few weeks, y'all, I'm going to be sharing some things, some things that God's shown me over the years about prayer, about hearing God. Um, I would tell, tell you that for me, oops, I lost my, for me, I think we all have a passion in God that's different from everybody else. And I would say for me, my greatest passion is to help people identify God's voice on the inside of them and cooperate with him when he talks. And over the next four weeks, that's what I'm going to talk to you about. Ways to help you cultivate your ability to hear him and then how you work with him. Because God doesn't always speak. Comprehension is not a good indication that you've heard from God. Mm Peace and presence are a great indication that you've heard from God. And with peace and presence, you can go a very long way. I also want to point out something that the Holy Spirit quickened to me when Mark was talking. You know, we all talk about Old Testament Bible stories, but y'all realize in the promised land, there were only two people who fully possessed what God promised them in the promised land. Mm -hmm. Joshua. And Caleb, do y'all know why David was a man of war? Because David finished possessing everything God promised to the children of Israel through Moses in the promised land. And it wasn't until David took all those lands that everything God fully promised them became theirs. Do y'all realize that? That's why David was such a man of war. And what I want you to see is that when you're walking with God, you can be a standout. I love that Caleb was 75 years old and he went to Moses. I mean, he went to Joshua before the Lord and he said, I want this Anakin, I want this place, the AI. And it was where the largest giants were, but it also had the richest land, the richest buildings, because the giants built it all. Mm-hmm. And at 75, he is out there offering the warriors, the young warriors, his daughter in marriage, who's going to help him take it. But y'all, I'm 60, and the idea of being 75 and having my sword ready to go after giants mm-hmm. takes something of God. Yeah. Do you understand? I want to be that way. I don't, want to, I don't want to get lethargic or lazy in my God life. I want my sword ready, and I want to go in and take the land. But I don't want to do it. I want him to do it through me. I won't go up without his presence. Amen. I have lived long enough to know that you can't do it. Anything God is asking you to do, you can't do it. He has to do it through you. So it would behoove you to wait and listen, to walk with him. 
It's easy to follow light when you're walking behind. It's hard to follow light when you get in front of it. Mm -hmm. And you can always see light in the distance, but you can't see light if you've passed it and you're in the darkness. Mm 